The reading is from John's Gospel, chapter 11, beginning to read at verse 1. This can be found on page 1077 in the Pew Bibles. John, chapter 11, reading from verse 1. Now there was a man, now a man named Lazarus was ill. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay ill, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is ill. When he heard this, Jesus said, This illness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? Jesus answered, are there not... Twelve hours of daylight. Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been there, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. 
The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews, who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, How, see how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Thank you, Sarah. Why don't we uh, pray before we uh, look at this together? Let's just ask for God's help. Uh, that is what we ask for. Uh, our, uh, our Father God, please would you... Um, Enable us to, to make sense of this extraordinary story um, in a way that would, um, uh, that would be right and proper, uh, uh, would bring you uh, the honor that you deserve. How we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, some of you will know it's uh, just, uh, just over a year um, since my mum and my dad uh, each died, uh, just three weeks apart. Um, 
And they, they were both in their 90s. Uh, they uh, both died in hospital. Uh, but they were two very different deaths. Um, my mum declined very rapidly on the day that she died, moved from um, lucid, clear conversation um, to her death in a, in a matter of a few short hours. And it was, it was pretty, pretty awful seeing uh, the suffering of those last uh, few hours. Uh, my dad, rather different, <coughs> he was in hospital um, with, a, with a sort of steady decline over a number of days um, and semi-conscious uh, for the last 36 hours um, uh, and then gradually uh, sliding uh, into death in a, in a much more sort of um, peaceful way, um, I suppose. Um, but, but at the end of uh, their lives, it was the same, uh, the same stillness, uh, the same emptiness, uh, the same absence. Uh, I, tell you, I tell you this this morning, um, not because not I want to raise the emotional temperature, not because I, certainly not because I want you to be thinking about me, um, but, but because of something that happened a, year, uh, a month later. Um, I may have mentioned this before. I was, I was sat here um, listening to uh, a sermon uh, about a month after um, their deaths, um, and I can't remember who was preaching, but I, I remember that um, the sermon included um, some references to, to death and to the Christian hope in, in the face of death. But what I remember about that moment is I remember thinking to myself, too quick, uh, too quick. Um, the, we're talking about death um, too lightly. Um, because for me in that moment, death uh, wasn't an idea uh, it wasn't a concept. Um, death was, was very raw, very real. Uh, death was what I had sat alongside at the bedside um, on those two days. Um, and somehow I felt that we were talking about death as a, um, as a sort of conceptual thing. Um, and Christianity is the solution to this conceptual thing. Um, and at the time, I, I, I promised myself that whenever I spoke um, about death again... Uh, I would seek to do so um, with an acknowledgement of, of the raw reality of it, um, that, that we will all breathe a last breath, um, that it will be physical, um, that it will be raw. And here we are a year later, um, and uh, already time has done what time does. And my sense of the, the reality of death has already begun to fade. My memory of being at the bedside um, of the moment of, uh, of passing um, has already um, sort of slid uh, from me. Um, why is that? Is it, why do we do that? Why is it so hard for us um, to, to live in the sort of constant awareness of our immortality? Um, do, do we lack the emotional strength, or is it just me? Maybe I just lack the emotional strength um, to, to really be able to face up uh, to the reality that we're mortal, uh, to the reality that there is uh, an end to this physical existence uh, on earth. But I do want to try this morning, um, because I think that we will live life better if we grapple with the reality of our own deaths. 
And more importantly, I think it will enable us to get closer to the heart of what um, this episode uh, in John chapter 11 uh, is all about. I mean, it is raw, isn't it? I mean, it sees the realities of grief here. Tears are shed. Anger is felt. Um, loss is experienced. There are graves and grave clothes and decaying bodies. Um, and I think we wouldn't do well if, if, we, if we somehow simply sanitized this account and spoke about death um, conceptually. What we've done is we've, we've set two weeks aside. Uh, clearly, it's a long passage, long narrative, um, lots here. Um, and we're going to look at it um, both this week and next. Um, it's hard to know how to divide it up usefully. Um, but, uh, but I think what I'm going to try and do is I'm going to focus today more on the words um, of Christ. Um, and then next week, particularly, I want to, to think about some of the emotions um, of the passage, and particularly Christ's emotions in the midst of this. Today, three, three priorities that I think seem to emerge uh, from uh, this narrative. Um, the, the first narrative, and um, the first priority, um, and you'll see them set out on the back of the service order if it's useful just to, to see where we're going. But the first priority is, is the priority um, that Jesus' glory should be seen. I wonder, as, um, as Sarah was reading it through, I wonder what struck you as the strangest phrase in the entire narrative. Um, I'd be surprised if, if some of you weren't sort of just slightly caught short, um, as it were, uh, brought up short by um, verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed where he was two more days. It's a little bit odd, isn't it? It does feel slightly peculiar. Um, as it happened on Friday, um, Beth, my wife, and I got a message to say that um, somebody who, a friend, um, and somebody who was a member of the church here uh, for many years um, was, um, was suddenly very, uh, very more seriously ill um, and uh, might be uh, sort of end of life. Um, and, and we began immediately to, to make plans to rearrange our day um, and work out how we could travel uh, to be with her. Um, as it turned out, um, when I phoned uh, the nursing home, it, it proved she wasn't uh, as close to death as had first seemed. But nevertheless, that's what you do, isn't it? I mean, you know, somebody close to you, that, that's your immediate instinct. So strange here. Jesus loved Martha loved her sister Mary, loved Lazarus. So, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, stay put for two days. There's something peculiar there that needs to make sense of. Um, some people try and translate the word yet to try and emphasize the, the, the oddness of it. You know, Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, yet, strange, yet, he still stayed two days. But actually the word isn't yet. The word is so. Um, somehow the decision not to travel, somehow the delay is an expression of his love uh, for Mary and Martha uh, and Lazarus. And that really does seem peculiar, doesn't it? So what could it be? What could sit behind this decision to delay? 
Is it, is it that Jesus was just aware of the danger? Well, that's certainly around, isn't it? Verse 8, uh, Rabbi, a short time ago, the Jews there tried to stone you. What do you want to go there for? It's there in Thomas's gloomy words, uh, verse 16. Well, let us go also that we might die with him. Um, there clearly is an anticipation of danger uh, if they travel back close to Jerusalem again. But that doesn't explain the link. It, it doesn't explain why Jesus' love should have issued in this decision to delay. The explanation, hard as it it may be for us to fathom it, is that for some reason or other, there is something at stake here that is more important, that matters more even than Lazarus' suffering, even than Martha and Mary going through the agonies of, of, of bereavement and loss. And it's what begins to emerge in the exchange beginning in verse 11. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, Jesus tells his disciples. But I'm going there to wake him up. And the disciples miss the point. Suppose Jesus is talking about natural sleep and think, well, that's a good thing. If he's sleeping, make him perk him up. That'll be all right. It'll be better then. Um, Lord, they reply, verse 12, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Which leads Jesus to make his meaning completely plain in verse 14. Lazarus is dead. And for your sake... I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. Let us go to him. Again, striking. Glad I wasn't there. Somehow it's a good thing that I wasn't there to do anything about it. The unnerving idea that is, that is unfolding is that something is going to be made possible by Lazarus dying that is so significant, so important, so vital that even all the agonies of illness and bereavement and loss and tears, they make it, they make it still worthwhile that, all they, that they go through all of that because of this vital thing that is going to happen. And what is it? Well, I'll glance back to verse 4. This sickness will not end in death, Jesus declares. Not finally, not ultimately. No, this sickness is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. How important is it that glory should come to Jesus? How important, how right and proper and central that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, should receive honor and glory and praise? It is so important that even a man dying and all of the suffering that goes around that is worthwhile if glory comes to Christ. Even death is secondary to it. So the first priority is the priority that the glory of Jesus might be seen, which which weaves its way secondly into the priority that the identity of Jesus should be made known. Verse 17 tells us that by the time Jesus arrives in Bethany, Lazarus has already been dead four days. Now, if as many think Jesus was located up sort of northeast of Lake Galilee, uh, some four-day journey uh, from uh, Lazarus' home uh, down in Bethany near Jerusalem, then if you do the maths, you realize that when the message came... Lazarus was still alive, 
Jesus speaks of him still being alive. But after he's waited two days, he now declares that Lazarus is dead. But that means that even if Jesus had set out straight away, as soon as the message came, he'd still only be halfway there uh, when Lazarus had died. And he'd arrived two days um, after Lazarus' death. So again, why the delay? Well, it may seem strange to us, but um, uh, first century um, uh, sort of superstition centered around the idea that when a person died, their spirit sort of hovered over their body for three days um, before finally, uh, as it were, departing. Um, And it may well be that Jesus, aware of that, wanted to put himself outside that three-day window to get way beyond that to four days so that there could be no sense that what happened could be, oh yes, no, the, the spirit has recombined with the body again. It does that sometimes. He wanted to, to put that idea completely to one side so that they could see exactly what Jesus is able to do. So that the focus would fall squarely on him, the man who can bring the dead back to life. And then notice the way that he speaks about that fact. Um, verse 25, uh, Jesus says to Martha, well, actually, no, what, what, what would you expect him to say? You might expect Jesus to say to Martha, Martha, um, it's all right, I have the power of resurrection. Martha, I have the ability to give life to people. Now, that would be a pretty extraordinary thing to say, wouldn't it? I mean, you've got to be pretty sure of yourself to make a statement like that to a bereaved person. But actually, Jesus goes further than that. He doesn't say, I have the power to give resurrection, or I have the ability to give life. No, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. You know how it is, an ambassador gets given authority. Um... You know, the ambassador is, is granted sort of some sort of uh, representative status by a state or a king, um, and then they go and do their ambassadorial stuff. It's the same true with the police officer, isn't it? police officer um, is, um, is a representative uh, or a, a kind of a, um, implements our law. But the policeman would, would never say, I am the law. Well, I, mean, I suppose a pompous policeman might, but, but you'd probably find that quite funny. I am the law. No, you're not. You're a representative of the, of the legal system. But, but you see that Jesus is saying exactly that here. Not, I, I am a representative uh, of God. Not that I have been given an ability to do something about life and death. It's, a, it's, it's a, such a startling statement. I am the resurrection. I am the life. Because of who I am. One preacher says that um, one of the features of John's Gospel is the way in which um, we, we, get a, we get a series of, of what he lovely, lovely, in a lovely way described as um, sort of high watermarks. Now, I, I've never lived by the sea, but, but I think I've got this right. You, you know, the tide comes in, doesn't it? And it sort of, you know, you've got a high tide mark, um, and then it goes out again. And then the next time it comes in, is that 12 hours later or something like that? It, it comes in a bit higher, um, and then goes out again, and, and, and so it goes on. 
until eventually it starts going the other way. Isn't that ebbing and something? Anyway, anyway, you get the idea. You've got the rough notion. Well, um, it, it is as if here we get a series of high tide marks um, in John's Gospel around the identity of Jesus. So chapter 4, you remember the, the woman at the well? Um, the, the people come out of the town to join her, and they say to her, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. And then you get chapter 6. That's Peter. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to, to, we have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. And you get another high tide mark in chapter 9. Jesus has healed the man born blind and he goes to find him and he says to the, to the man, do you believe in the Son of Man? I believe, the man says, and worship him. And now here in chapter 11, Martha declares her belief that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And you see how it is gradually rising now from Saviour to Holy One to Son of Man to Messiah, to Son of God. And it's all headed to the, to the peak high tide mark. You know what that one is, don't you? It comes at the end of the Gospel, in chapter 20, where Thomas sees the risen Christ and says, my Lord and my God. And we finally arrived at the high water mark of John's Gospel, identifying that the identity of Jesus Christ. That's where John is driving us to see that in Jesus we encounter our God. We see our God face to face. So even though Martha makes a pretty impressive statement in verse 24 when she, she, she asserts her belief that there is a resurrection at the last day and then goes further than that in verse 27 and says that she believes that Jesus is the Messiah who was to come into the world. Even all of that isn't Enough. Because she is still surprised. She still doesn't believe what's going to happen next. That's why she's pretty unenthusiastic about the stone being moved away from the face of the tomb. Lord, there'll be a bad odor. Lord, it'll stink. Because there's a decomposing body in there. See, she hasn't really got it. I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus declares. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Jesus, big enough in your eyes and mine. We've seen just who Jesus is. I sometimes worry um, that it's... It's easy for us, as it were, to, to treat Jesus as if he were a, a sort of a mascot in our pocket. You know, like a little lucky rabbit's foot. I'm glad I've got Jesus in my life. He's not big enough. He's much, much bigger than just our lucky mascot. He is our God. He's our creator. He is resurrection and life. So first, the, the priority that Jesus' glory might be seen, that his identity might be known, 
And then finally, that his hearers, and that includes us, that his hearers might believe. Now, um, we're going to look at the the lovely exchange between Mary um, and Jesus next week. Um, Lots there, and we'll focus particularly on that um, next Sunday. Um, For for today, I want us to notice how um, this episode ends. Uh, So pick it up with me in verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odour, for he's been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they might believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth round his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. There is something very earthy, isn't there, um, about this climax to the story. There's a cave with a great big stone stuck there across the entrance. There's a sister fretting about the stench of a decomposing corpse. There's a dead man shuffling out into the light. Uh, with strips of grave clothes wrapped round him. It's not an idea, is it? Death. This isn't concept of resurrection. This is about a body physically restored to life. It's about a corpse that should have been decomposing, smelling. This corpse being restored to function again with a heart that beats, with kidneys that function, with nerve endings that feel, with eyes that see and a mouth that can taste. Things that don't happen to dead people. But this historical account claims that there, in response to the words of Jesus, it did happen. Lazarus was restored to life. Do you believe it? Do I believe it? Really? We're persuaded of the reality that Jesus is able to do such a thing. And of course, it is just a sign. It's actually only a sign. It's the seventh of John's signs. Because it points to something still greater. And in verse 41, Jesus tells us why he did it. Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me, that I am who I claim to be, that I can do what I claim to be able to do, and that glory might come to me 
as a result of that. And, and here's, the, here's the climax. Here's the point of the whole episode. Here's why it was right and proper. Even that Lazarus should be allowed to die. Even that Martha and Mary should be permitted to go through this grief. What justifies all of it is that we might believe in who Christ is and give him the glory that he deserves. Because that's actually the most important thing. See, see why delay? Why organize these events as, uh, as Jesus has done? It is to get Christ where he should be in our lives. Now, if we get Christ where he should be in our lives, then that will enable us to live well. But I think the focus is different this morning. I think if we get Christ where he should be in our lives, it isn't that he will show us how to live well, he will show us how to die well. It is quite something, isn't it, to face death without pretense. To face all the raw realities of the end of our mortal life and to do so without fear. How could you do such a thing? Not, I think, finally, simply by being reassured about what Jesus can do for me. But actually, I think, if I am convinced of what I can do for him in my death. We usually do it the first way around, don't we? And of course, it is true. We usually speak of all that Jesus is able to do for you in the face of death. But when we understand that, that actually the glory of Christ comes first, then we see that what really matters is what I am able to do for Christ in my death, in the manner of the way that I face it, in the manner of the way that I die. Even my death is less important, just as the death of Lazarus is less important than that glory comes to Christ. Arriving at the realization that he really does come first. He really is central because of who he is, because of the glory that belongs to him, is liberating in just every way that we can imagine. Let's, um, let me lead us in a prayer as we close. Uh, our Father God, we, uh, we acknowledge um, that in, in all sorts of ways we fail uh, to give Christ uh, the honor and the glory uh, that he rightly deserves. Uh, forgive us that um, we, we allow ourselves to be bigger uh, and him to be smaller. Uh, and Father, as we, as we see uh, this extraordinary story, these extraordinary events, and see the way at the heart of them uh, is that the glory of your Son uh, might be made known. 
uh, we realize um, how important it is uh, that we place him uh, centrally, that we know him uh, for uh, all that he is. Uh, Father God, please, um, uh, please would you help us with that? We're slow. Um, we're slow to think this way. And we're slow to live in the light uh, of who Christ is. Uh, so help us, uh, both in life and death, uh, to be concerned uh, for the glory of your Son. And we pray in his name. Amen.